Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. We advertise this as Life Lessons 2.0. And the reason we did 2.0 is because we've already done a series called Life Lessons. And so... We, we, when we decided to do this, we were not on our creative game. So Life Lessons 2.0 is what came up. But I do want to share with you, being that I'm starting this out, and hopefully tonight, I am going to put out a little bit of a disclaimer. Hopefully we get through all of this tonight. But I do want to say to you, this, this really is truly a lesson that God took me through. Um, he literally took me by the hand and walked me through this. And um, I cannot tell you, uh, I don't know that there are, are, are human words that can completely articulate the power of what I experienced in that process that the Lord took me through. And um, let me just say this to you. I, I want to say a couple things before we get started. First of all, when God gives us um, advice or a command or instruction in His Word, um, God is very deliberate about it. Amen. This is, not, this is not a nice suggestion, hey, maybe, you know, if you try this, it might work out for you. No, this is stuff that when God gives it to us, it is on the mark, and it will penetrate, and it will accomplish what God said it will accomplish. Can you say amen to that? Now, I also want to say to you, kind of as a little bit of maybe setting the, the, the tone and the platform here just for a moment, Um, how many know that the things that transpire in our life do not happen in a vacuum? In other words, they don't just randomly happen. There's a reason why things happen. Can you say amen? You know, if, if you have a bad day, how many have ever had a, don't raise your hand, but (laughs) if, if you've ever had a bad day, there's a reason for it. Sometimes it can be the enemy. Sometimes the enemy can be fighting against you, and and it can be a difficult day. There's no doubt about that. But sometimes it can be us, too. Can you say amen? Because we're, we're not complete yet. Now, what I mean by that is, spiritually, we are every bit complete. Are you hearing what I'm saying? What Jesus did in me spiritually, his salvation is to the uttermost. He He perfected me spiritually. I am complete in Him. Amen? Now, the task of my life is that I begin to live out in behavior what I am in position. I am a son of God. I am a prince. I am a priest and king before Him. I am the body of Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And on and on and on we could go. And all of those are positions and identities that we hold because of what Jesus did at the cross. And by faith in Him, by applying, by extending faith and applying Him to my life, all of those things become mine immediately. Amen? Nothing further needed. But now, what it is in life is I'm to walk that out. I am now in the process of walking out this identity, this revelation. And and I would like to think that it happens all at once, but it doesn't. I wish it happened all at once. I wish it was just, but it's not. It is a process of walking things out. And so we are learning to walk through this 
thing called salvation, this thing called being a child of God, and we're walking through it. So, having said that, one of the things that we begin to notice in life is that sometimes we don't always hit the mark. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we do dumb things. Sometimes we deliberately do dumb things. Sometimes we just go for the fried ice cream, as it were. Sometimes we buy into the lie. Sometimes we, you know, we, you know, something shiny flies by our face and we're like a a fish off to the lure, you know, not understanding that there's a hook in that bait. And we get caught and we go, dear God, what am I going to do now? And so sometimes what we have to do is we have to stop for a minute and rather than looking all out here, when things go wrong, blaming your husband or your wife or your children or your boss or your neighbor or your dog or your car or your lot in life or the fact that you don't have money or you just can't figure it out, instead of blaming things all out there, sometimes what we need to do is just take a look at our own life and just say, you know what, God, you need to show me where I'm missing this mark. You need to, you need to show me what's going on. And that's what this lesson is about. This is, this is the thing that's going to help us do this. This is the, the thing that's going to change things in our life. The title of this lesson is called The Power of Forgiveness, and obviously we're going to talk about forgiveness, but I want to start by asking you a question that is common, I believe, to every single person in this room today. What do you do? Now, you don't have to answer it, so it's rhetorical, but what do you do when somebody hurts you? What do you do when you get offended? How should I respond when somebody insults me, disappoints me, wounds me, ignores me, takes advantage of me? It's not an abstract question. It really is not. It is a very real question, and we don't have to be around people very long before we realize that From time to time, we are going to get hurt. Things happen. We'll talk about this more here in a minute, but to prove that, Peter came to Jesus and says, how many times do I got to forgive my brother? You know, Peter being the spiritual one of the bunch, you know, he had the biggest mouth and he was like always the spokesman. And he's like, hey, how many times? You know, seven times. And Jesus, uh, I I say seven times 70. Amen. Amen. And so what is that telling us? That's telling us that where you put two or more people in a room, occasionally they're going to bump. Amen? Iron sharpens iron, so to speak. There's, there's going to be some ruffling of the feathers, as it were. Can you say amen? And you don't have to be around those very long before you get hurt. We've all been misunderstood We've all been let down, verbally attacked, falsely accused. We've been ignored, insulted, wounded, betrayed, abused. And the list could go on and on and on. And if that's you tonight, then you're in good company. And the reason why I say that is because there is not a person on the earth that hasn't experienced that, including Christians. It's not that we get hurt is the problem. It's what we do with it. It's how we handle it. It's how we deal with it. The truth is, we live in a world where people hurt one another all the time. And I would like to say that in the church, that's less than normal. But I've been around church too long to know that in church, sometimes the deepest wounds can happen. 
Sometimes the most difficult things can happen in the environment of the church. We will experience many moments when we are tempted because of those things to become bitter, to become embittered because of the way others have treated us. Can you say amen to that? There's truth to this. And we must learn to forgive those who have wronged us instead of letting bitterness take root in our hearts. Because God, listen, this is the reason why. God is calling every man, woman, and child in this room tonight to great things. Not all of us are going to be behind a pulpit. Not all of us are going to play an instrument. Not all of us are going to sing songs. Not all of us are going to go to foreign lands and preach the gospel. But all of us are called to do something significant in the kingdom of God. There is no activity in the kingdom of God that is insignificant. Not to God. Are you hearing me? And we are all called to do something great. But if we let the actions of others affect our lives, if we allow those things to really begin to work on us, and we allow a root of bitterness to travel in our lives, it will at the very least set us back, if not derail us altogether, possibly destroying us. Are you hearing me? Listen, the devil has a strategy, and the devil's strategy is if he cannot destroy you, then he wants to derail you. So will I go to church? Well, that's okay. The devil don't mind you going to church as long as you don't do anything about it. Well, I sit right on the front row. Good for you. So does he. The devil in hell believes and trembles, the Bible says in James. Okay, and so the reality is the devil doesn't mind all the Christian activity as long as that Christian activity has no impact, as long as it don't do anything, as long as it don't mean anything. And one of the ways to take the meaning and the power out of our activity in Christianity is by allowing ourselves to travel in a place of unforgiveness or bitterness. And I'm going to show you why here as we go through. So let's look at our text, Hebrews chapter 12 verses 14 and 15, it says, pursue peace with all people. We, we could stop right there and actually do probably a, week's, a, a month's worth of Bible studies in that. It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness with, with which, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness <clears throat> springing up cause trouble and by this, many become defiled. And there's all kinds of things in this. And I'm really not going to take the time to unpack all of it because it would just take too much time. What I want to focus on is that statement that we don't let any root of bitterness spring up. So that's what we're going to deal with is how do we deal with that root of bitterness. And as I consider the abundance of issues that can and often works just under the surface of our lives, I have found that there is none more crippling and paralyzing as the cycle of bitterness. Now I want you to listen to this because I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey. See, bitterness is something that every individual in this room has experienced to some degree or another. It affects the young, the old, the rich, the poor, the educated, 
and the uneducated. It is a part of the human condition. And I have found that one of the quickest ways to hinder our lives from the life of God that He has for us is to allow a root of bitterness to grow in our hearts. Look at our text. He says, looking carefully, beware that we don't fall short. He says, I want you to pay attention, looking carefully. In other words, I'm not saying this is just passing on information. I need you to pay attention. When my children were little, that was one of the things that we were saying to them all the time. Have you ever noticed that a child always has a way of taking their glass and putting it right on the edge of the table? And then it's like they're flailing their arms back and forth and all of this, and it's like, Lord, please, you know, pay attention. The other day we were at some folks' house and there was a gathering of folks and we were all getting together. It was our worship night. It was the worship team gathering and we were all gathered together. And so me and another person were sitting in the front room and we're sitting on the couch and this individual had his soda. He had set it on the table, but it was right by his arm like this and he's moving his arm around. And you know, the dad in me, I mean, this guy's 10 years older than me, but the dad in me is like, move that over. You are going to hit that thing. I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs, pay attention. And this is the heart of God. God's saying, pay attention. Why? Because you could fall short. You could be hindered. <clears throat> you could break the flow of the grace of God. You could stop the ability, the divine ability of God. You could hinder it in your life because there is a root of bitterness. It, it, it will trouble you. It will crowd and it will mob you. It will contaminate you. We don't want that. Can you say amen? So I want to take a few moments and I want to look at this cycle. The cycle of bitterness begins with a wounded heart, a broken heart. It begins with hurt. It begins by being wounded. You don't have to live very long before you're the victim of some emotional pain. We've all had it. We live in a harsh world every day. Things are being said and done and, 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 and things are happening and people are, are, are being abused and hurt and wounded and things can hurt us. We can even have misunderstandings just not knowing the rest of the story and become offended and not even rightfully so if we're not careful. And we can become wounded and we have all experienced it. All of us have experienced emotional pain. Can you say amen? Once we get hurt and that pain goes unresolved, something happens inside of us, things begin to go to work, and we become susceptible to resentment. And I want you to listen to me. See, resentment is the feeling of persistent ill will, animosity, indignation, strife, and contention. Resentment gives us the overwhelming feeling and sense of being a victim. We've all felt the rise of resentment. It begins with defensiveness. One of the things that I notice and I mark in my life, this is going back to what I was saying, things are happening for a reason. So when I notice that I'm becoming defensive, that is a sign to me that says, hey, stop a minute and ask yourself, why are you so defensive? Stop. Why are you being defensive right now? Why are you 
trying to divert this because it's an attempt to protect ourselves against the pain. And we begin to build a battle plan of defense. Consider this in, in, in the story of the prodigal. Do you remember the story of the prodigal? The prodigal goes off to faraway land, tells his dad, hey, I don't want nothing to do with you. I want what's mine. He goes off faraway land, but he comes to himself. He comes back. The father restores him, and now they're having the party, and the older brother comes in from the field and hears a party and asks one of the servants, says, what is going on? And the servant said, that brother of yours has returned, so your dad has killed the fatted calf. And in Luke 15, 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. The older brother was filled with animosity. His feelings for his family were completely negative. And he begins to isolate himself, and it turned inward, and it began to consume him, and it was eating on him. But I, I submit to you, Resentment was eating on him long before he walked up to that party that day. <clears throat> Things were going on. See, because the feelings of resentment are so vivid, so real, they make so much sense. See, that's why this is so sinister. Is because as this is going on, it makes sense to us. It feels right. I remember years ago being asked the question, how can something that feels so right be so wrong? Because if you go by feeling, you're going to be disappointed. Because feelings, feelings are real good servants, they're not real good masters. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And sometimes what we do is we allow our feelings <coughs> to be in control rather than what we know to be true. Well, I just, you know, I just, I feel like something's wrong. You know, I, I just feel like those folks down there at that church, they don't like me no more. Why? I don't know, I just got a feeling. Do you know not every feeling you feel is you? Do you know the devil can sow feelings into you? They can come from all sorts of places. And they can come up and they can be moving. And what happens is those things become that resentment and it makes sense. And resentment is like a fire that never goes out. It sometimes it seems like the flame is all but gone, but at the slightest breeze of stress or frustration or fear or disappointment, the fire of resentment rages on. And once again, our resentment is established and it begins to do something. It begins to give way to anger which is the next step in the cycle. Anger is very often an emotional disability that works to destroy us if it's left to itself. Unresolved anger poisons our soul and it rots our well-being. Jesus put it this way through Paul, writing in Ephesians chapter 4, I believe it's verse 26, he says, be angry but don't sin, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. It's interesting, he didn't prohibit anger, he just said deal with it quickly. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Oftentimes, I, I've taught this before in, in Jacob's Ladder in our anger management. I, I, I said, look, anger is not your problem here. So what you do with anger is the problem. And when you allow anger to stay in you and you don't deal with it, it takes on a life of its own. That's why God said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And he's not saying, don't be angry at night. 
He's saying don't let a lot of time go by before you deal with what's going on. There is a righteous anger. There is. You can be angry for the right reasons, and when you're angry for the right reasons, it'll move you in a direction of redemption and productivity. But if you are moving in a, in a direction of destruction or retaliation, you are not demonstrating the right kind of anger. And you need to deal with it quickly. Can you say amen to that? One man put it this way. He says, anger has been called the chief saboteur of the mind and the leading cause of depression, sickness, accidents, loss of work, and financial loss in America today. Proverbs 25, 28 says, if you cannot control your anger, you are as helpless as a city without walls open to attack. So here we have in this, this cycle, we have this, it begins with a hurt, it moves to resentment, which gives birth to anger, and now this anger literally leaves us vulnerable, because that's what he's talking about in Proverbs. Because back in the day, in the, in the Old Testament times, cities were protected by walls. They build these walls. They created a fortress. Why? Because it kept armies, invading armies out. They had now a fighting chance to keep the enemy out. Well, a city without walls was vulnerable. In fact, it was the very thing that motivated Nehemiah. If you go back and read the story of Nehemiah, this is an amazing story because by the time Nehemiah came on the scene, the temple was fully restored. The presence of God was back in Israel. It was back in Jerusalem. They, they, they had the temple, but the walls were broken down. And Nehemiah was so moved by that because he said, look at our city is still a reproach. They are still vulnerable. They got saved, but a lot's undone. And he goes back and it's a, he, he finds out that they've been trying to rebuild these walls for 70 years. But Nehemiah, under the power of the Holy Spirit, is able to do in 57 days what they couldn't do in 70 years because of a passion. And it was to build the walls back. Why? Because he knew how important the walls were to a city. It was their glory. It protected them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Millions of people are living with unresolved anger. They are completely unaware that they are emo it's an emotional cancer that is systematically stealing their lives away. Some people have been angry so, for so very long, they no longer know how to feel anything else. Once the choice is made to be angry, <coughs> bitterness is the natural and logical outcome. And bitterness is a root that grows out of anger that is fueled by resentment sown in the soil of hurt. It's the cycle of bitterness that affects every area of your life. And the thing that I have found in my experience as a counselor is that bitterness does not stay isolated. It's a root that has bitter fruit. And it begins to travel. It is, it is, it's bitter fruit is skepticism. You ever met somebody that... I'm not just talking about the occasional little, ah, I don't, that skeptic, that doubting attitude or state of mind. They're skeptical about everything. Everything. I think it's going to rain. Well, we'll see. Maybe. I don't know if we're lucky. That's skepticism. Cynicism. They question the sincerity and the goodness 
You know, somebody does something, say, hey, you know, so-and-so just blessed me. Well, I wonder what they want. Maybe they just want to be a blessing. I doubt it. Do you know anybody that just wants to be a blessing? Everybody's in it for something. Let me tell you, you may not know now, but there's going to come a day and they are going to come up and they're going to say, hey, you know what? I need this, this, and this. And do you remember when I gave you that little? That's that cynicism. Another fruit of bitterness is sarcasm. And this, I, I, I'll be honest with you, this is one that, that I, have to, I really have to pay attention here. I'll, I'll just tell on myself a little bit. Sometimes I can be sarcastic because it's easy. It's easy to be sarcastic. But you know what, sarc- do you know the word sarcasm literally comes from a word that means to bite or to chew or to tear like a dog. It's from a French word. And then criticism. The act, it's the act of analyzing and making judgments, find, finding fault. And you know, there are people that I've seen over the years that they actually look at being critical as a gift of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm gifted. I remember years ago when I was, before I ever became a pastor, when Kathy and I first got married, so this was back in 1986, I was working as an assistant manager of a grocery store and one day the district manager of the stores came in. So the, 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 the head manager of the store and I being the assistant, which amounted to I was the gopher. I had to have a clipboard. And so us three walked the store. And what we did is we walked what was called the end caps. And the district manager, <clears throat> he would go, I don't like this. This needs to be like this. And I had to take notes. And I remember walking, I was what, 21, 20? No, I think I was 20. And I remember, you know, walking through there at 20 years old going, this is the job I want. Because all he had to do was find out what was wrong. Well, man, you could just walk in and spit in any direction and find something wrong. I mean, it wasn't hard finding. It didn't take much of a gift to find something wrong. It takes a little bit more of a talent to find something right. And the problem with us sometimes as Christians is we are far better at finding things wrong than we are finding right. Let me tell you, if you ever decide to be a gold miner, you'll find out that you have to move a lot of dirt to get a little bit of gold. Amen. In fact, right now, many times gold mines will shut down because the price of gold begins to drop down to where it is no longer advantageous to move the dirt to get the gold. Because it's, it's that precious. But as people, as Christians, as men and women of God, we are called to find gold, not dirt. It's easy to find dirt. I could start right here with Johanna. I can find dirt. I, I go, you know what, Johanna? Here's the list. I go, I, Bev, I got some complaints. You know, and I can really go down the line. But see, all of that's part of that cycle. <laughs> that's that cycle of bitterness and we fall into it and sometimes we can fall into it that we don't even know the cycle is at work. That's why I'm saying to you why I qualified this is at the beginning is sometimes when things seem to be out of order in your life and it's like, why are these problems happening? Rather than going looking for a problem out there, stop and say, wait a second, God, what's going on on the inside of me? What's happening in me? Now, in the wake of bitterness, there's six things that it'll do to your life. Bitterness will destroy you spiritually. Amen. 
It'll destroy your spirit. It's slowly but surely, bitterness will eat away at your spiritual life. And it's not, listen, let me just say this and make this very clear. It's not because God's up in heaven mad, going, you mod doggone it, you're bitter, I'm going to take it out on you. That's not it. That's not it at all. What it is, is bitterness eats away at our spiritual life. It, be, it just takes one bite at a time, and it just eats, slowly eats, slowly eats, slowly eats, until it's gone. And the problem with that is a lot of times we don't know, even notice it until it's too late or way down the road. Bitterness will devastate you physically. Why? Because it will, con it will cause you to constantly be running like a machine. Your, your mind will constantly be going. It's constant. won't shut off. You'll be laying there in bed at night thinking it all through coming up with brand news. Have you ever had an argument in your head? I mean, had an argument with somebody. You, I mean, you're having the argument. You're anticipating what they're saying, and then you're in your head responding. Back and forth. It's back and forth. It's going back and forth. Have you ever lost that argument? Sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. And then when you don't win, what happens? You get even madder. Now you're even madder at the individual. It's like, what is going on? That's what's happening. It'll damage you emotionally. You'll find that there'll be enormous amounts of discouragement, disillusionment, and depression. It will divide your faith because it'll rob your ability to trust. Because at some point, what happens is you will begin to look towards God. Well, why aren't you doing anything? <coughs> Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, do I got to wait? It'll defile your relationships because you will isolate. You will begin to withdraw from the people that you love the most. And it will deprive you of a blessing. Why? Because the grace of God, it's not because the grace of God's not being poured out. It's because the grace of God is being resisted. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If we will ever break free from the cycle of bitterness, then we must learn to forgive, and that forgiveness is the only way out. Forgiveness is the foundation upon which all of our Christianity is founded. Amen. Are you listening? So what does it mean this, this evening to forgive? The word forgive in the Greek is a simple yet powerful word that means to dismiss, to release, or to let go. In other words, when offended, Jesus says to, you need to let it go. But what happens if I, I have someone that does, uh, does the same thing over and over again and offends me in the same way over and over and over? That's when Jesus said, forgive them every time. Amen. Amen. And I'll speak on that a little bit more as we go along. It's interesting to me to note that the context of what Jesus is telling us 
comes from a story that Jesus told about a king who forgave a man more than he could ever pay. And I want you to listen to it. I'm not going to read the story. I'm just going to tell you the story. So Peter comes to Jesus, says, how many times do I forgive my brother? Seven times. And Jesus says, I tell you, seven times 70. And then Jesus tells a story. He says there was a king one day that decided to call in his accounts. And he began to get his servants to come and to give account of what they owed to pay it back. And a man came in that owed more money. It was thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. He could have never paid it back in his lifetime. And so the proclamation was, take him and his family and throw them in debtor's prison. And the man pleaded, have mercy on me, O king. Be patient. I will get the money and I will repay all. And the king, out of the graciousness of his heart, says, I'll tell you what, I forgive you. I release you from your debt. Amen. Amen. Then the Bible says that that man goes and he finds a guy that owed him five bucks. And he says to the guy, give me my five bucks, you owe me this money. And the guy says, man, I don't have it, please be patient with me, I'll get it, I'll repay everything. He goes, no way. He says, you know what, take that man, his family, his children, put him in debtor's prison until everything is paid. Well, then the servants of the king see this go down, so they go back to the king, and this is where we pick up the story in Matthew 18, 32. It says, Then his master, after he had called him, said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tormentor, tormentors until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you, each of you, from his heart. It, it, so my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. So what did, this, what did the king do? He released him. He let it go. He says, I no longer expect you to pay me. You owe me nothing. I release you. That is the essence of forgiveness. But there is a really, really incredible warning here because in the story Jesus tells us that the man that was unwilling to release even though he had been released from so much <coughs> when he was unwilling to release all that came back wow. the king took it all back he said no nope. yeah. I, res I rescind my forgiveness and then he said, release it. He says, Re put him in prison and then listen to this. He says, then the tormentors can come. Unforgiveness releases torment. There's many people that come to me on a regular basis and they'll just say, man, pastor, I'm tormented. I don't know what's going on. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm vexed. I'm this and I'm that. And you know what, church? A lot of times it's because we're hanging on to something. Let me, let me see if I could just do a little bit of a diversion here just for a moment. You are a child of God. And as a child of God, you have victory. Period. There is not a devil in hell that can take you out. Are you hearing me? There is no lie that can overcome you. 
There is no strategy that will work on you. The only way the devil can have any effectiveness in your life is if you let him. That's it. The thing that bothers me and the reason I say that is because many Christians wear their battle and torment like a badge of spirituality. See how spiritual I am because I'm getting beat up this bad. Is that too hard? Is that too real? And what we do is we go, you know what, man, I'm, I just, man, I've been going through hell. I'll tell you what, it's been hard. It's been, you know, the devil's after me. He's got my number. He's tormenting me. He's doing this. He's doing that. He's doing this. And you know what? When you boil it all down and peel all the layers back, what you find is a little root of bitterness that's still hanging on. And what's happened is God says, and see, you have to understand something about God. It's not God up in heaven pushing buttons. I'll get them. I'll get them. Watch this, Gabriel. Zap! That's not God. What it is is God's, I showed them how to avoid that. If you jump off the building, you're going to hit the ground. It's a law. It don't matter if you're rich, you're good looking, ugly, poor, really educated, not educated, gravity works. Unforgiveness and forgiveness works, don't matter who you are. And he says, if you leave this in you, it's going to release torment in you. And now what's happened is Christians, because they don't seem to deal with this, have looked at that torment as now being the measure of their spirituality. That's not freedom, liberty, where the spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. There's freedom. There's peace. In the midst of the storm, Jesus is asleep on a pillow. <clears throat> Jesus wasn't standing up going, all right, boys, we're serving God now. Let's ride this baby out. That was not Jesus. <clears throat> the disciples are freaked. Jesus is asleep. Don't you care? He gets up. Peace. Be still. Where is your faith, brothers? <laughs> we somehow see, we, we read that, but we don't get it, do we? And so one of the things that you got to understand is that sometimes these things, this bitterness, and I'm probably going to go way off the notes here for a second, okay? So this happened to me, and this is where the lesson happened to me. So I had a friend that I had spent a lot of time with. He was actually a disciple. I, I had put time into him. I had spent hours with him, taught him things, would do Bible studies, and we worked together, taught him how to preach, taught him how to write sermons, doing stuff, all of this stuff. Spent lots and lots and lots of time. Well, such as it would be, he came to me one day and said he was leaving, and he left. And then some time went by. He went and started a church, and time went by, and... Then one day, he, him and I got together for lunch, and uh, we were talking, and somehow, I don't know, just through the circumstances, he didn't agree with some stuff that I was talking about, 
And he began to question everything. All the way to the point of questioning whether I was even saved. And I remember walking away from that and I was really wounded. It really bothered me. It hurt me. And I remember just closing down and I remember telling my wife, I said, you know what, I'm probably done with this kind of stuff. I'm, you know, I could do this job without having to do all that. You know, let the other guy, I don't have to do, I don't have to give my life away like this. I don't have to invest like that. And I remember I was bugged. I mean, I, the, the, all of that that I just got done preaching, all of that came about. And so one day, <clears throat> I was having a really, really bad day. And I was out back here. We own all that property back there, so we call that the backyard. So I'm, I was out in the backyard, and I was walking. And I remember God speak to me, and he said, John, you've got to forgive him. <laughs> I said, there ain't no way on the planet that I'm forgiving this guy. I'm not, I'm, I don't want nothing to do. I don't, I'm done. I, how dare he? What, what, who does he think he is? I ain't doing this. And God says, I want you to pray for him. He said, John, I want you to pray. Pray that I bless him. And I went, are you nuts? I'm not praying for blessing on this guy. Because in my mind, I could, what I could see is I could see all of this. Because see, we always interpret blessing as financial and all of that. And, you know, getting the goodies and the good stuff and all that. And so I'm seeing all of this just because God's going to certainly answer my prayers, right? And so all this stuff and I'd be sitting here you know slugging it out you know I'm going you know duking it out and he's over there blessed ain't gonna happen and God was so patient this is why I love God so much he said John you don't understand the nature of blessing so that's your problem and I mean I remember that part of this whole story I remember that line very clearly you don't understand the nature of blessing and I remember he said, John, what? And I remember him asking me. Now, you have to understand, this is all happening like in a nanosecond. This is, you know, I don't know. I, the only way I could relate it to you is like a conversation. But it's happening differently. So anyway, <clears throat> I remember him saying, what is the greatest blessing that he could have? And I, I was dumbfounded. I don't know, a million bucks? You know, I was being dumb sarcastic remember the root of bitterness is in me the fruit was at work and I remember God said no the greatest blessing is to be right with me when you pray blessing on someone that's hurt you on someone that has offended you on some then I begin to go to work to restore relationship not only with you but with me I begin to go to work to restore things See, the thing is, you think it's just a lottery ticket. And I remember going, okay, okay. And I remember I began to pray. I remember I, just, I would call out his name and I would ask God to Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.